Dear God, we thank you that we can hope in you alone. That we are not reliant on any other thing, on any created thing, but on the creator of the universe. We thank you that we can trust you, that we can lean into you. As the song said, even in the storm, we can still put our hope in you because you're faithful, because you never change. Lord, today as we enter into a time of teaching, we pray for open hearts and open minds. God, that you would loose my tongue to speak your words and that we would come to understand you more and our response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us all summer, you'll know even better than I do that we're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit are nine different, well, generally we accept them as character traits of a Christian. But they come from the Spirit. They're not just general character traits. They are from God. Today's trait, today's fruit of the Spirit, is faithfulness. We can see God's faithfulness as we sung about, but do we understand what faithfulness actually is? If I asked you, if I called someone up here right now, you could probably tell me faithfulness is this, that, or the other. Maybe you have a list that you would say these traits actually make up someone who is faithful. But until we understand what faithfulness is, where it comes from, until we truly understand faithfulness, we cannot be faithful. And so I'm going to define it for you because we all need to be on the same page. So, faithfulness is being honest, dependable, trustworthy, full of integrity, and loyal. Now, if you think about these words, you'll come to realize this isn't something that's developed in a day. These things, these character traits that make up a faithful person actually are developed over a lifetime, and they increase with time. You can become more trusted as you prove yourself. People learn that they can depend on you as you show them continually that you are dependable. And you show your loyalty by over and over again being loyal to something or someone. Now, most of us can think of a few things that might fall under loyalty or faithfulness in your life. Maybe you are a faithful Maple Leafs fan. And it takes a lot of faithfulness to stay with them sometimes. Okay? Or maybe that TV show... I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's America's Got Talent, but you're there every week on the couch whenever time that starts, maybe a few minutes early just in case, and you watch it, and you know exactly what's going on, and you could probably tell me more about that TV show than maybe even your Bible because you're faithful to that TV show. Seems a little frivolous sometimes, but there are things that we devote our time and energy to Now think what might happen if you weren't quite so faithful to one of those things. If you miss the TV show, maybe America's Got Talent, you don't know who's taken off or however that works. I don't watch it. I don't know how that works. But whatever show it is, maybe you miss a week and you come back the next week and all you have to do is catch up on what's going on. I mean, you could go online and watch it 
or you could just miss that episode and pick up on the plot of whatever it is you're, you're watching. And what would happen if you didn't go to the same hairdresser you've been going to for 20, 30 years, if they're the same? Your hair might not look as nice, or it might look better. We don't know, but it doesn't actually affect life. Your hair's going to grow back, or it's not. It doesn't really matter in the long run. (laughs) Because in the long run, these things do not affect who you are, just what you do or how you look. To understand faithfulness, we've got to go outside of the public realm and actually enter into the spiritual. If this is a fruit of the Spirit, we must understand faithfulness as such, as a gift from God to his people. And in order to do that, we've got to know what faithfulness is based on. What is the standard of faithfulness? The easy answer, the Sunday school answer, is God or Jesus. What is faithfulness in God? How does God show his faithfulness to us? Because we serve a God who acts in and through history. Some people believe God, if you believe in a God, created, then stepped back and said, not my problem anymore. Let's watch them struggle. That's not the God of Christianity. My God, our God, acts in and through history and sees his will done. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. He is consistent in all things. His character does not change because he is God. He is. To help us see God's faithfulness, we need to look through Scripture because that gives us the best taste of God's faithfulness. And I could easily recount from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the whole Bible, and we could pick pieces of the story where we see God's promise and fulfillment. And so I'm just going to give you a little bit. A story that really shows God's faithfulness, but also the faithfulness of his follower, is the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph is this young guy. He's got 11 siblings, and he's part of a family that has a promise from God, which we'll get into in a minute. But Joseph has a dream. He has a dream where his brothers bow down to him. Now, you've got to remember, he's the second youngest of 12. In that culture, nobody bows to the young ones. And so we look at Joseph, and he tells his brothers these, this dream. And they're pretty angry. Why would we bow to the pipsqueak? Why would we give allegiance to this child? And then he has another dream, and he's going, this is from God, I better share. So he sits down with his family, and he shares. And this time, the dream has to do with his brothers and his parents bowing down. And at this point, he's the apple of his father's eye. At this point, his father kind of goes, hold up a second. We're going to bow to you. It's unbelievable within the culture they're in. And we don't know how much time elapses, but the brothers get more and more angry. The favored son now has told us we're going to bow down, that we're going to be his servants. What do we do with him? And they sell him into slavery. Dad's favorite son gone. Tell dad, lion got him, put blood on his nice coat. Joseph's gone. And when we trace Joseph through, we see that he continually upholds God's laws for his life and respects them. And he actually gets bought in Egypt by an Egyptian military man. 
And because of his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, he gets promoted and he runs the whole household. And he stays true to what God has called him to be. And because of it, Potiphar, his employer or owner, gets told a lie by his own wife. It says, Joseph came into my room and attacked me. And so Potiphar obviously sends this slave to jail because he believes his wife over a slave. Even though Joseph proved himself faithful over and over again, Potiphar's wife needs to be protected. And so Joseph ends up in jail, and yet he's still faithful. And God's faithful to him because, again, he gets promoted, and he has freedom and control within the prison to a degree. And these two servants of Pharaoh get sent to jail, the cupbearer and the baker. And they have dreams. And they're talking about these dreams and they don't know what they mean. So Joseph says, God will give me an interpretation. And he interprets the dreams and the cupbearer is told, you're going to go back and serve Pharaoh. And sadly, the baker is told, you're going to die. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you return to Pharaoh's court, remember me. Cupbearer returns to Pharaoh's court. Baker dies. Dreams come true, but the cupbearer forgets. And then Pharaoh starts dreaming. And all the wise men in Egypt cannot tell him what the dreams are or what they mean. And the cupbearer remembers. God brings to mind that memory. Says there's this guy in your jail down there, Joseph. He could probably do it. He interpreted my dream and he was right. And so Pharaoh calls up Joseph. And Joseph makes very clear it's not me interpreting the dream. Because he's faithful. He points to God who gives him the interpretation of what the dream is. And it's a beautiful thing because Joseph interprets the dreams correctly. And he's not a learned person like all of these magicians and wise men of Egypt, but he is used by God. And he tells Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty, good harvest, abundant harvest, but they are followed by seven years of famine. There will be nothing growing in the land. And so Pharaoh promotes him. Says, okay, you know what's going to happen. You've got to deal with it. Here's the kingdom. Collect whatever you need to help us sustain over the seven years of famine. And the famine gets so bad that Joseph's family has to come to Egypt for grain. Now, Joseph would have been a young boy when they sold him, and now he's an adult. He's probably dressed as an Egyptian. And the brothers don't recognize this guy who is allotting the grain, but they drop to their knees. They bow before Joseph, just as God said they would do. Because God is faithful. Because when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And eventually the whole family is brought over, and because of Joseph's status, they will bow. But God used this child who became a man that was faithful to save what becomes the Israelite nation. This nation that has a promise that goes back even further than Joseph. The promise is to his great-grandfather Abraham. And God says, come out of your people. I will, I will give you a new people. I will give you a land, and you will be my witnesses to the rest of the world. You'll be my representatives. And if Joseph hadn't been sent to Egypt and gone through all of those things and been raised up by God, to save Egypt and his family, none of the promises to Abraham could have come true because his family would have starved. 
And so God is faithful even when we can't see it. But he's not only faithful in a few generations, he's faithful throughout all of history. You see, 400 years later, we see the Israelites still in Egypt, and they become a threat to a pharaoh that doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember what Joseph did for Egypt. So what does he do? They're a threat. You are now slaves. You are not free people. So the Israelites, the people of God who are supposed to have their own land, who are supposed to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore, they're slaves. And then Pharaoh says, you're too strong still. I'll kill all of your sons as they are born. And the Israelites remember God and call out to the God of their forefathers. And he answers. And he rescues them with his mighty hand. He raises up Moses to lead his people out into the wilderness and eventually to the promised land, but the people still complain. Do you remember what the Israelites do? They get into the wilderness and they complain. God just rescued them. In fact, when they were leaving, the Egyptians are throwing their money and gold at them, saying, get out here, have everything, just leave. God opens the sea for them to cross on dry land, and the response is to complain. Oh, it was better as slaves in Egypt. It was better when our children were being killed in Egypt, basically is what they're saying, than to be out here in the presence of God. Yet God is faithful. They complain about food and God miraculously provides manna, bread from heaven every day. And he feeds them. And then they complain that they're thirsty and Moses strikes the rock and out comes water in a desert. It's unheard of, but God is continually faithful. Even when Moses is up receiving the Ten Commandments, one of them is do not worship idols, and yet down below, they're making an idol like the ones they saw in Egypt and bowing down. But God remains faithful and doesn't destroy them like they deserved. Because when he makes a promise, like he did to Abraham, he keeps it. But how does that translate into the New Testament? What does God's faithfulness look like in the New Testament and beyond? Well, You have a promise that's made to Adam and Eve, first man and first woman, that is fulfilled in the New Testament. And that promise is a son of Eve will rise up and the serpent that tempted them to sin, that tempted Adam and Eve, will bite this child's heel, but the child will crush the head of the serpent. The child will reign victorious over the serpent. And then we see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy child of Eve, a descendant of Abraham, a son of David will reign on the throne of Israel forever. Not just 60, 70, 80 years, but forever. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to earth fully God, but takes on the form of a human and says, I will be the perfect man it takes to pay the price. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought death into the world. A death that everybody deserves because we all have sinned. And God says, I love my people enough that I will make a way that they do not suffer the death they deserve. He sent his only son. And Jesus comes and lives a faithful life. He says, this is what humans are supposed to be. 
and he does God's will. And because of that, God's people murder him. And he goes to the cross willingly. He says, God, your will, not mine. And he dies for our sins. His perfect blood paying the price so that we can know him. So that we can be in right relationship with him. So that no longer do we have to fear death. But we get to rejoice because one day if we believe, we will be with God. Now how do we know that? Well, God proved himself in the Bible as faithful, and then he makes some more promises. John, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is what sets us apart from God. It blocks the way to reach our God, the one true God. When we sin, when we fall short, when we break the relationship, we are seen as unrighteous. But God is faithful and just to forgive those sins instead of punishing us for them. And lets us, makes us right with him. And then Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a clear promise. It's one that we can grab a hold of and trust because God is faithful and he never changes. So he's going to uphold that promise. So now we have seen God's character of faithfulness. There's no denying that the way he works, even when we can't see him at work, is faithful to what he says. So therefore, if that's the God we serve, we want to be like him. When we look up to somebody, we try and be like them, act like them, dress like them. Well, with God, we try and be like God. And so when we're like God, he's good, so we desire and try to be good. He is kind, so we desire and try to be kind. And he is faithful, so we too must be faithful if we are to be like him. So who and what are we to be faithful to? Because some things are a little more important than others. Well, we're to be faithful to God first and foremost. God, the creator of the universe, holds our allegiance if we believe. And he deserves our allegiance, whether we believe or not. Because he created us and he loves us. And Jesus went to the cross. God's son went to the cross for us. And so when we commit allegiance to him, we allow the rest of our life to shape that. So what might that look like? What might a life that is faithful to God look like? First in the church, which is a little easier for us to understand the need to reflect God's character with his people, hopefully. Paul is writing the book of Galatians. That's where the fruit of the Spirit is found. Paul is writing this to a church group in Galatia. And it's a church group that, if you know the history, actually is fracturing. They're fighting over who they follow. And Paul's trying to set it straight. He's trying to clarify who they follow and how they should act. Because they're fighting each other over something 
that doesn't affect their eternity. They're fighting over allegiance to humans instead of putting their allegiance in God. And Paul points them back. And just before this list of nine fruit of the Spirit, he gives a list of the fruit of the flesh. Human nature, fallen nature, things that the Galatian church are currently doing that is fracturing the church. Now, if you've been in church or around church people, you might realize, sadly, this didn't stop with the Galatians. Churches today break up over big and small things all the time. Maybe it's the style of music. Maybe it's the color of the carpet. Maybe you don't like the pew that you sit in and you want a more comfortable chair. We fight over things that don't actually affect our relationship with God. They affect our personal comfort and what we want. But what does God say? Because the church, the body of Christ, is described as that, as a body. Many members, one body. Unity. Because if you're walking along and your right foot is going forward and your left foot says, no, I want to go over here, you're going to fall over. You're going to look like a fool when your body isn't in line. Sort of like the church. If we are not united in Christ, people probably look at us from the outside and go, what's the point? If they can't even love each other, why would I want to be a part of that? And another description within Scripture talks about a military picture. We're told to put on the armor of God. We're told we are in spiritual warfare, that we are in a battle. Well, if you think of the military, you think of a soldier, they sign up and they're told where to go. They all go through basic training, but then they're told where to go and they're assigned a group of other soldiers. And you better believe that when the fighting breaks out, they don't go anywhere because they are devoted to their team. Because even in the midst of fear or confusion, they follow their leader. You don't get to choose when to be in battle if you're in the military. You don't go, oh, they're headed into a skirmish, so I'm going to go over to this unit because I don't want to. And maybe the soldiers in a unit disagree with timing or what's to be done, but they know their place and they submit to their leader. And for the church, Christ is the head. And so we submit to Christ in all things and we allow him to bring the unity because unity within the church is only brought through the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit gives us faithfulness, faithfulness to God and faithfulness to each other. So this military thought, then we jump back to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, the church, is the bride of Christ. Now if you're married, you took certain vows to your spouse. And usually it ends with, till death do us part. There's a commitment there. And we understand, and even in today's society, uphold marriage and a commitment that's made to a degree. And within church especially, we understand that this marriage design, this one man and one woman, reflects Christ's relationship to the church. If you would never want your spouse to cheat on you, why would you not remain faithful to God and to his people, his bride? 
It doesn't make sense. Now that's in the church. Maybe that's easier sometimes. But what about outside the church? Do we have to be faithful outside of the church? And if it's a spiritual thing and the church is more of the earth, then what does that actually look like? How are we faithful in our everyday life in such a way that we point to God? Well, first we point to God, as I said, in the body of Christ. And we are one body, and Scripture tells us they will know us by our love for each other, the way we care for each other. But also when God is in us, our entire life is transformed. We are faithful in all things that we do, in school, in work, in families, in time, in money, in talents. We have to be faithful. God's faithful in all things, and we want to be like him. This week, we told Rose, our three-year-old, that we were going to the beach on Friday. She got really, really excited. And each day she asked, are we going to the beach? Are we going to the beach? And each day we said, Friday, Friday. It's okay, Friday. And Thursday morning comes and she goes, we're going to the beach. And I'm like, no, I'm going to work. You're staying home tomorrow. We'll go to the beach. And she was excited. But what would have happened if Friday came and I said, no, we're too tired. We're not going. How would our three-year-old daughter's heart have been crushed? I said, too bad. I don't feel like it. Because I made a commitment to her. We made a commitment that said, we will go to the beach. And obviously, if it was raining, we weren't going to go. And we talked that through with her. But it was a beautiful day, so we went to the beach. And because of that, she's able to trust us a little bit more. Because she's still figuring out what this whole trust thing is. An even longer-term trust for her was our Senegal trip. You see, for the past two summers, we have left her at home with family. And we have gone, Marilee and I, and last year, Marilee, Ezra and I, our son, she's been at home with grandparents, not with us. And so when we brought up Senegal, she started getting really scared. She was really upset, and we said, no, 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 you're coming with us this time. But all of her history of us leaving was us leaving her behind. And so we had to teach her that she was coming and that she could trust when we said she was coming. And so what did we do? We walked her through the steps. We went and got the passport. She takes her picture and we say, the picture's gonna go on your passport. That's what lets you leave Canada and enter another country. And then when we bought the tickets, I said, your ticket is purchased. We're all sitting in this row side by side. And then she was worried about others coming. She'd continually ask, is Ezra coming? Are mommy and daddy coming? Am I coming? Her stuffed animal that she sleeps with is Birdie coming. And so what did we do? We made Birdie a passport. (laughs) Because she needs to be able to trust that when we say you need a passport to go somewhere, that you need a passport to go somewhere. And so her bird has a passport. This little stuffed animal. But none of that would have mattered if May 31st we said, you stay in the car, we're going. None of it would have mattered if we left without her. But we told her she was coming and we had to stay true to that. Now, it's what we wanted, so it was a lot easier to stay true to that. But isn't that the way it works? When we want something, it's really easy or easier to stay faithful to it. But what happens when it's something more mundane? When you're going to work. You go to work, You work your hours, you leave, you go home. 
And work can get long. Work can get hard. Sometimes we don't like it. But when you were offered the job, you said, I will fulfill this job description to the best of my ability. Are you faithful to that job description? Or when nobody's looking, do you flip over your phone and look at Facebook or Instagram? Or that 15-minute coffee break, oh, coffee starts in five minutes, so I'll start now because I don't want to start something else. Oh, coffee's over. Okay, I'll go to the bathroom and I'll go get some water and I'll... Are you being faithful to the commitment you made, to the hours you said you would work? Or if work says we trust you with money, what do you do? Does your budget get used in such a way that promotes the job that you're supposed to be doing? Or do you take those extra paper clips home? Or you don't want to waste your ink and your paper at home, so it's just 10 pages. Work has lots of money. Are you a good steward? Are you faithful to the company that you promised to be faithful to? Are you showing Christ's faithfulness in your faithfulness? Same goes with school. Are you doing the homework properly or are you scrambling at the last minute? When that teacher assigns that paper and suddenly it's due and you go, I forgot, give me an extension. Are you being faithful to your schoolwork? Are you being faithful to what you need to do for your next steps in life. Think of your time, your talents, and your money. No, I'm not going to say we're pastoring the offering, play it again, give more money. That's not the point of this. But what are you doing with your time, your talents, and your money? Is your time and talents devoted to getting the next step? I need this promotion, so I'll put in extra time at work. I'll look really focused on work until I get the promotion, and then I can sit easy. Are your talents devoted to getting ahead? Maybe you're competing against a coworker for sales. And so whatever it takes, you're going to get the higher numbers. Or do you devote your talents and your time and your money to work, yes, because you have promised and committed to something, but first and foremost to God? Are you using your money to make sure that you keep up appearances? You have the nice car, the nice suit, whatever it is, the shoes, the haircut. You're the latest trend. God can wait on his money. Or the homeless person I walk past doesn't need a meal that bad because those shoes that I've been saving for. What do you do with your time, talents, and money? You see, Proverbs 17, 17 says... A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Could someone honestly say that about you? That your time, money, and talents are devoted to loving your friend, your neighbor, your family, your coworker, your boss, even if you disagree with them? Are those things devoted when someone struggles, to helping them? Or is it, no, I'm going to eat out for lunch this week? What are you doing? Are you faithful to what God has called you to do? Just love each other and love our neighbor? To love God and love our neighbor? Or are you only faithful to yourself? Because really, if someone's looking at you 
the options they're going to look at are, are you faithful or faithless? You say you're a Christian, but do you live it? You say you believe in an almighty God that did everything for you, but you're not willing to do anything for him. I mean, you show up to church, right? Isn't that enough? You throw some spare change in the offering plate. Isn't that enough? How could God require so much of me? The only requirement is that you are faithful. That you are faithful to him and all else will come from that. I'm going to read a passage that is well known. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. If you're looking in the Bible in the front of your pew, it's not going to be on the screen for you, so page 830 in the pew Bible in front of you. This is the parable of the talents, and this is Jesus speaking, God himself. He is speaking and teaching in story form, using a parable. This is Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. And if you're not opening your Bible, that's great. Listen to what actually happens. Verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gives five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them And he made five talents more. He doubled his money that his master had left. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had had received the one talent went and dug a hole. He dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. Remember, talents is money, okay? That's what we're talking about here. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, he was still faithful even though he hadn't made as much money as the other guy. Still told, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same instructions because he did what he was supposed to do with what he had been given. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. You can almost hear it. I I protected it. Get it back. He's probably expecting a well-done, good, and faithful servant. But 
His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given. More will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that, even what he has, will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I said, this is a parable, a story. It's about money, but it's not really about money. God has entrusted us with the good news of Jesus Christ. He has shown us grace and mercy and love. Are you faithful with what he has given you? Are you faithful to his bride? Because sadly, regular church attendance is now considered once to twice monthly. And coming to a life group or a small group, we promote it from here, but at large, the church as a whole, not just Unionville, the church as a whole, that attendance has dropped. Do you come to fellowship? Do you come to be with God's people? Do you come to learn more about God so that in your daily life you can reflect who he is? Or are you coming out of obligation? Well, the weather's not perfect this morning, so I guess I won't go. Or uh, we didn't want to make the, the drive to the cottage, so I guess we'll come to church. What is your reason for coming? Are you being faithful to God even when you don't feel like it? Or are you doing it because you feel you have to do it? Are you responding out of what God has given you? We're told how important fellowship is. But we don't necessarily live it out. Because fellowship with believers gives the ability to spur each other on in love and good works to encourage one another through good and through bad, to love one another and hold each other up before God. And if we don't meet together, where's the rest of your platoon? Where's the rest of the body? How are you being strengthened and empowered? How are you serving God within his body if you're not here? I want to tell you about one of my youth. I have one of my male youth. He has been in the church for a couple of years now. I've walked beside him. I've had the joy of seeing him grow. But about a year ago, he approached me and said, I'm thinking about switching youth groups. Now, as the director of youth, that hurts a little bit because it's my job to keep him there, right? No, it's not. It's God's. So what I said to him was, If this is about your spiritual growth and you have prayed about it, go. Find somewhere that will feed you. But if this is about your own desires, you got to turn that over to God as well. 
said, when you pray, pray whether you're supposed to go, but also pray this. There's no one else my age in the guy's small group. Does that mean that I've been placed here to step up and to use the talents God has given me to serve? I asked someone who was coming to youth to say, I'll take on more responsibility as we ask the youth regularly. But this time, when he had prayed, he came back. He said, I'm not going anywhere. We want to do worship. I'll play in the band. We want to teach in small groups. I'll step up and I will teach small group. I will allow you to hold me accountable to a higher standard because I desire to grow in Christ. And this is what he's telling me is the next step. It's a grade 12 student, university coming. But he said, I will be there every Wednesday and every Friday night event that we do. And he was. And there were times when I said, how's school going? And you go, well, there's a really big exam tomorrow. Meanwhile, half the youth group's away because they have a little bit of homework due two weeks from now. But he said, I will make a commitment. I will be there. But you also got to remember, nothing else slid. He didn't give up his other commitments to be at youth. He worked out a way with God's help to be faithful to all the other commitments he has because he serves here. He's on Unionville Youth Council. He does extracurriculars. He's part of different councils and extra things. His marks did not drop. He said, I will devote the time needed to grow in Christ. Think about your life. If I could look at the past year of your life, would it be a similar story? Would it be easy to say, yes, I've been faithful? Or at least for someone else to say, yes, you've been faithful, because sometimes we can't see it. If there was a camera on you at work, and your boss could see every moment, would your boss say you are faithful? Would your words to people as they comment on your dependability and trustworthiness point to Christ? Say, I do this because God was faithful to me first. Or do you pat yourself on the back and go, I know I'm great. Are you willing to be faithful to God and allow that to impact the rest of your life?